You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Well, last night, my son, he's seven years old, he asked me, he said, hey dad, why are you speaking at Southview tomorrow? Why are you speaking at this different church? And I said, son, let me tell you a story. I said, uh, seven years ago when my wife and I, we moved down here from Michigan uh, in 2016 to take over what I call Church of the Old Kroger Building. That's what we call it. That's how I had to describe it because nobody knew what it was after the merger. Uh, I, I, I told him, I said, I said it was hard to explain to him because he's seven, but I was like, it didn't always feel like all of the churches in the area were very friendly to each other. It almost felt like there was this uh, enemy vibe going on, like, uh, don't mess with my territory. I'm sure you guys have never experienced that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I felt it. I felt it felt territorial. And I said, this man that leads Southview was the first pastor in Spring Hill to welcome me into the community. First one to invite me out to grab lunch and to say, you are welcome here. Yeah. We had lunch that day. I still remember you invited me to have lunch at Fulin's and we were both, you had set up the lunch, I guess, weeks out. And so we, it just so happened that day we were both fasting. That sounds way more spiritual than it is. We don't do that all the time. But in that day we were, so we both ordered me. I still remember ordering miso soup or something minus the miso. Our server, we definitely tipped well, but we didn't eat much. Uh, but it was that, it was that moment that I felt, oh, I'm welcome here. I'm welcome here. And um, it's not just that. I, it's the way that Pastor Mark has viewed this city as what is the Lord up to in Spring Hill and Thompson Station in Middle Tennessee? Not what is the Lord up to at Southview? It's been so attractive to me. The way that I have experienced over the last five years of knowing Pastor Mark, I'll get Sunday mornings especially, 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m., I will get these. Does anybody else get voice texts from Pastor Mark? Yeah, some of you, yeah, Josh, you do. <laughs> and they are just like, uh, you know, I don't always wake up every Sunday feeling um, confident and feeling filled with courage for the day. But sometimes I will get these voice texts from Mark that will just be like, they will be balm for my soul, fill me with courage, the exact word that I need to hear for the day. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy has his own church he's leading, and yet he's giving me a word for the day. And I just, I, I just, uh, I'm so grateful for you that when you asked for me to do this, or you said, hey, I'd love to have you, I couldn't say no, I have to say yes to this. You are a, this is what I wrote down thinking about today. And listen, I know there's other stuff, but this is what's true to me. You are selfless, you have a servant's heart, you are close to Holy Spirit, you you have a vision for what could be, not just what is. You are a unifier of people. And I'm actually in my new role at Church of the City because the Lord spoke to me through Pastor Mark at a CrossFit workout of all things. Has he talked to you about that? The first rule about CrossFit is you have to talk about CrossFit. That's what they say. It's the opposite of Fight Club. And, uh, and so uh, the Lord spoke through that moment, that word in the gym. So this, this relationship is not just two pastors in a city, it's, it's deep. I have a phrase that I use to describe uh, deeper friendships. Got it, I don't know, years ago, reading a book, I can't remember the book, so just 
It's not mine originally, but this is what I've, I've come up with. You can have a lot of friends, but there is a special category of friends. There is the friend that will do whatever it takes to serve you. They will give of themselves to serve you. And I call these 2 a.m. friends. 2 a.m. friend. They will drop everything, even sleep in the middle of the night to care for you. Now, I will say, Pastor Mark has been that for me. I will say that I'm sure you as a community, as a family, have felt some level of that from him. But he is just one person. But I, I know that speed of the leader, speed of the team. So there is some level of understanding of this truth, I believe, probably f- uh, infiltrated into the congregation here at Southview. But I will say that some of us, sometimes we aren't always great at being 2 a.m. friends um, or, or experiencing a friend as a 2 a.m. friend. Isolation and loneliness are an issue in our country and in our city. I met with, a few years ago, I met with one of the lieutenants of the Spring Hill Police Department. And I asked him, what is the greatest issue that our city faces? And you know what he said to me? The greatest issues in our city? Isolation and loneliness. He said, people are moving here and they aren't making any friends. People spend too much time complaining about restaurants on our heart Spring Hill. And they spend no time developing friendships. Yeah, right. Shocker. He would say that they would get phone calls. The police department would get phone calls dealing with suicide attempts connected to two issues, financial stress and people being overstretched, buying a house in this market, and then not having anyone close that they can turn to when things get hard. Um, And this is not just Spring Hill. This is in our nation. There's a senator from Nebraska, Ben Sass, who said this. He wrote a book about the isolation and loneliness epidemic in our country And he talked about how people are hyper-connected through our phones, yet completely disconnected relationally. We have fewer non-virtual friends than at any other point in decades. We are addicted to distraction and parched for genuine community, is what he would say. And this is especially true for men, is what Sass argues. He said, after the age of 25, most men stop making new friends. Isn't that crazy? He, quote, he uh, quotes this uh, study that was done that talked about how 25% of women would say that their husbands are their best friend, but 65% of men would say their wives are their best friend. Now, that sounds cute and great for the you know, husband-wife, but the reality is what that's saying is men don't have best friends. And if you ask the police department, if you want to know, when we talk about this, we've got to talk about this as an issue. With suicide attempts, it's like 95% men. Like upper 90s, like it's just, that's what's going on in our city. If we want to know how to bless this town, we got to know the problems. This is a problem. Now, just to lighten it a moment for a second here, one of the miracles Jesus performed that we don't give credit to enough, I saw this meme, it has a typo in it, don't worry about it, but I want to put it up there. It says this, no one talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. Isn't that true? Like, it's a big deal for, for dudes especially. Now, you know this. We are designed to be in relationship. You know this. You know we're designed to be in relationship. Genesis 2 says it is not good for man to be alone. And let me remind you that that is spoken before sin entered the world. Now, I'm not saying we all have to be married, but I am saying we all have to have a friend that knows what's going on in our lives that can be present when things get tough. Not if, but when things 
Yeah, tough. I was reminded of this recently when I took my family to the Tennessee Aquarium down in Chattanooga. Has anybody ever been to that aquarium down there? It's pretty sweet. They have an exhibit down there for the penguins. Anybody seen the penguin uh, exhibit there? Pretty sweet. They have the whole glass wall there. What's cool about it, I've got four kids. They love it. What's cool about it is if you really like it, you can actually, there's a website that is directly dedicated to a live feed of the penguins. If you want to check that out later, you can do that. I appreciate it if you don't do it now. That would be, just save that for a second. But the, uh, there's actually a part of the exhibit where you can put your hand in the water that the penguins swim in, and it's obviously ice cold. And the lady in charge, I think she's a zoologist, she said, do you know how these penguins survive in such cold water? She said, number one, when the sun hits the, the black on their back, it kind of you know, insulates that heat into their back, which is awesome. But she said the primary way a penguin survives in that cold is by huddling up together. You have to be in community to survive as a penguin. It is not good for penguin to be alone. It is not good. And it is not good for man or woman to be alone. Now, coupled with kind of understanding some of the pain in our city and our nation, recently I had started to study the life of a man named David. David, if you grew up in the church, you know David is the David, uh, you know, throwing the stones, David and Goliath, David. David is the David and Saul, David. David is the David becoming King David. David is David and Bathsheba, David. David is the man after God's own heart, David. And I, I started reading the Psalms. It kind, of, it kind of feels like 2020 forced me to read the Psalms just to try to like survive, you know? I'm a big Proverbs guy. I don't know if you guys like Proverbs. I like logic and reasoning and things to make sense. If you do this, you get that. And I believe that to be true for most of the, most of the time. But every now and then, that's not always how it works out. And that's why you need the Psalms and Ecclesiastes. And so I was reading the Psalms, and I was just like, David's written most of these, a good chunk of these. And you just read in there, and you read about David's life, and you just find that this guy, this guy spent so much of his life, the words that describe so much of his life is he was in the pit. He was in the wilderness. He was in isolation. He was on the run. There were always, you read the Psalms, you read, he, there was enemies all around him. So much of David's life was spent in difficult circumstances. In fact, his best friend, Jonathan, had a father by the name of Saul, who was the king. And it, what we know of, at least six times in scripture, it says that King Saul tried to kill David. Now, I have gotten kicked out of my friends' houses every now and then, but none of their parents have ever tried to kill me. And David's best friend, Jonathan, Jonathan's father, Saul, tried to kill him. The big question for us today is this, how did David make it through all of this? How did he make it? How did, how did he give us the gift of the Psalms today and to be described as a man after God's own heart? Well, the late pastor and theologian, Eugene Peterson, argues that David made it through the most difficult seasons of his life because he had great friends because he had 2 a.m. friends. One of his best friends, Jonathan. If, if you want to read more about this friendship, it's found in 1 Samuel 18 through 20. You can read more about this friendship. I'm just going to whittle it down to two verses to describe the depth of this friendship 
verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan had a deep love and deep friendship with David. What did Jesus say? How are we to love our friends? We love our neighbors as we love ourselves. This is what he had, this friendship. Eugene Peterson in his book, Leap Over the Wall, said this, without Jonathan, David was at risk of either abandoning his vocation and returning to the simple life of tending sheep or developing a murderous spirit of retaliation to get even with the man who was despising the best that was within him. Eugene said this as well. Without great friends, our most promising dreams can fizzle. It's not unusual for any of us to begin something wonderful, and it's not unusual for any of us to do things that are quite good, but it is unusual to continue and persevere. I said this last service, but I'm imagining that's what, that's what Pastor Mark has felt from you two, and you two have felt from him in this season. The friendship, there is, there is a power in it. We can all start things, but continuing and persevering, you need a friend. You need a 2 a.m. friend that gives you those voice texts that just fill you with encouragement, that just fill you up for the day, reminds you what you're called to. What are you called to? That friend, that 2 a.m. friend, can remind you what the Lord has called you to do and continue. They remind you to keep fighting, to continue the good fight. This is what a friend does for us. Now, not only did David have Jonathan as his best friend. He also had this group of men called the Mighty Men. Have you heard of the Mighty Men? Have you heard, you know, Bible stories as a kid about the Mighty Men? If you don't know about them, they're like the Navy SEALs of the Bible. Like, like they would do anything, any command that was given, they would, they would pull it out. They would make it happen. There's a story found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Crazy story where David is on the run. The Philistines are after him. And this is, describes the mighty men. It says this, During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mightier warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. And then look at this. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty wars. I love that that's just one of the stories that we get to know about. I wonder how many more there are of where these men proved to David, I, will I am a 2 a.m. friend to you. I, I will do what it takes to serve you, to care for you, to consider you better than myself, as Philippians 2 says. You know, I was thinking about this. You know, we, we might not fully catch this here, but there's a weight to this. Now, it is a totally different scenario, but imagine 
you you found out that one of my favorite lunch spots is this place called uh, Chipotle. Have you guys heard of it? Some call it Chipotle. I think it's Chipotle. <laughs> but uh, does anybody else get a little bit sweaty when you get in line to order your meal? Like if it's a long line, you're like, I need to order for my whole family. Like Mark, if you have to order for your whole family, no, you do the online business at that point. But I don't always trust the online order because I think they skimp on some of the toppings, so I need to be there. But it'd be like one of you guys saying, hey, Derek, I found out you like Chipotle. I'm going to go get in line, and I'm going to order you Chipotle. That is a feat right there to order somebody else's meal because there's so many potential mistakes that could be made. <laughs> and then you do it, and you sweat the whole time. You finish it. You pay for it. You come back to me, and you say, Derek, here's your Chipotle burrito bowl. And I say thank you, and I just tip it over right in front of you as a moment to say, I appreciate our friendship. <laughs> I mean, I, I read this story sometimes, like, the mighty men must have been like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, are you serious, David? I get the point you're trying to make. Could you have just pretended or maybe just, you know, one sip, one for me, <laughs> you know, one for the Lord, <laughs> one for the homies? <laughs> you know, but... But I just love this story for us because it proves that they had a depth to their friendship. David had friends to get him through. Eugene Peterson said this as well. He said, friendship is a much underestimated aspect of spirituality. It is every bit as significant as prayer and fasting. Like the sacramental use of water and bread and wine, friendship takes what is common in human experience and turns it into something holy. Wow. Yeah, have you felt that before? Have you, have you felt the depth of a friendship that just makes you feel like it's heaven on earth? Yeah, I felt it. Yeah. Or as my good friend, the great theologian Winnie the Pooh once said, a day without a friend is like a pot without a single drop of honey left inside. I felt that before. Yeah. So I think you can understand that in our city and in our nation, this is a problem. I think you, you can see in the scriptures that friendship is spiritual. It's probably something we don't talk about enough. The question for us now is how do we make good friends. How do, we, how do we have a 2 a.m. friend and how do we be a 2 a.m. friend? I'm going to give you three insights on how to do that. And uh, hopefully this can be applicable to you for this week. The first is this. How do we make good friends? There are two main ingredients to any 2 a.m. friendship. Two words. Trust and vulnerability. This is what I've learned. I'm 41 years old. I'm, I might learn some more stuff, but I know at this point my best friendships have, a, have had a level of trust and vulnerability. Now, let me make sure you understand this. We need, we need trust to be vulnerable, don't we? But we need vulnerability in order to build trust. Isn't that interesting? I don't know who went first in the relationship with David and Jonathan or David and the money, mighty men, but I do know this. Jonathan trusted David to the point where Jonathan told David, he said, listen, my dad is going to try to kill you. You need to get out of here as soon as possible. He trusted David with a unique insight, a secret that he could have held on to. And then David trusted Jonathan in a moment where he said, okay, just so you know, here's my plan. I'm going to be going on the run tomorrow and I'm going to trust that you're not going to tell your dad before I leave. Because just a friendly reminder, who technically was in line to become king after Saul? 
it would have been Jonathan. So he would have had a little ulterior motive here beyond the friendship to try to mess David up, to get him in trouble. But David trusted Jonathan. Jonathan trusted David. They had to be vulnerable to build trust. Same with the mighty men. David had to tell them that he was thirsty. I know that sounds simple, but just a simple act of vulnerability to share what you need. Man, it's the trust that is built through vulnerability. There's a writer by the name of Brene Brown. She talks about this illustration called the marble jar illustration. I heard it years ago, and I still remember it today, so it must matter. I'm going to share it with you. I want you to think about and imagine every one of your friends or family members has a string, and on the end of that string is a marble jar, a clear marble jar, and they put it around their neck, and every time you meet one of your friends or family members, you can picture this marble jar looking a little bit like this. Now, every interaction that you have with a friend or family member is either putting marbles in the jar or taking marbles out of the jar, okay? When someone supports you, sticks up for you, texts you to see how you are doing, remembers an important detail of your life. You ever have that where somebody just remembers your parents' names or your dog's name or a prayer request you gave them two weeks ago? Every time they remember something that matters to you, that is, that is putting marbles in the jar. That is, that is building trust in that relationship. Now, conversely, every time you interact with somebody and they disrespect you, they share a secret that you told them, they never ask you questions about how you are doing and what's going on in your life, they spend most of the time talking about themselves, uh, or they, um, they talk poorly about somebody else that's not with you, every time they do that, because if they're doing that about them, what are they saying about you when you're not there? Every time they do that, that is taking a marble out of the jar. That is losing trust. And over time, here's the challenge to us. Look for people that are holding a jar full of marbles. This is what happened when I got those texts. When you would, say, when you would just have the courage and I'm going to take two minutes. I'm gonna, I think I hear from the Lord on what Derek needs to hear. And you said that's what was happening. And that's, that's how you build a 2 a.m. friendship. Look for people that build that. Now, here's the other thing I want to say. With trust and vulnerability, there, there is something going on in our culture where we, when, when we continue to uh, gain um, financial success, we start to lose the need to have good friends. And it's interesting. I've thought about this. I didn't share this last service. I just thought about it in between. My, my wife reminded me about this because she was at the 9 a.m. She's like, Derek, isn't it interesting that the more money you make, the less friends you think you need? And you think about it. It's like you pray, Lord, would you just bless me in this way? And maybe the Lord is holding off on that blessing financially because he actually wants to build your friendship base. He wants you to have a friend that you lean on. I mean, think about the seasons where you actually needed people to help come over to your house to help you move. Because you need, like, that was the only way it was going to happen. And so I'm just saying, like, the vulnerability, like, especially for those of you who maybe have gotten to a spot where financially you can solve most of your problems, this is really important to find places to be vulnerable. And find a moment in whatever you guys call your community groups or life groups or what do you call them? Family groups. Like, find moments to be vulnerable with a need. Yeah. 
We need trust to be vulnerable. We need, we need to be vulnerable in order to build trust. C.S. Lewis would say this, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. It's just being vulnerable with our needs. Now you can still extend grace to the friends that have empty marble jars, but you just don't need to trust them with the secrets and the serious stuff going on in your life. Boundaries, there's a book written by Henry Cloud that's called Boundaries. It's a great book, the dude loves the Lord. There's a reason he wrote that book. <laughs> Boundaries are okay. In fact, they could be godly. <laughs> For any good friendship, trust and vulnerability are the two ingredients. Okay, second thing is external adversity. Everybody say external adversity. external adversity. So here's what happens. It's a fancy word of saying when you engage in anything that's difficult and you're banded together with a group of friends, something about that hotwires deep friendship. David and his mighty men, they're hanging out in this cave battling the Philistines. They're exhausted, thirsty, and hungry. They had external adversity. David and Jonathan had, Jonathan's dad was trying to kill David. This was external adversity to the relationship. Battling forces a bond. Scripture says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all time and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Of adversity. There's something deep that happens in adversity. If you've ever trained for a marathon, with a group of people, you know this to be true. I want to show a picture to you of, uh, this is a picture of the first and last marathon I ever ran as a human being. <laughs> Never do it again. This is 2014. And I ran for a, it was a, there was a, a ministry that we were supporting called Hope Water Project. And it basically, you would raise support if you ran the marathon and all the money would go to put wells into South Sudan. And it was really beautiful ministry that would happen. Um, and I remember signing up for this and I actually tore my meniscus during the training. And I went to the doctor. The doctor said, hey, just so you know, you don't have a runner's body. I was like, okay, I received that. I will never run another one of these. <laughs> but at the point, I was so far, if you've done these before, I was so far into the training. I think I was like, I'm at the point of no return. I was at like running 17 miles for training. And I was like, I'm never going to get back to this spot. So I got to go at this thing. And every one of my miles, I started out running like nine minute miles. Then they were like nine minute, 30 second miles. And then if you've done this before, at like mile 17, there's the wall. They call it the wall for a reason. It felt like external adversity. And I was hurting. And all of a sudden I'm doing like 11 minutes. And I'm like, I need to finish before they close down the course. <laughs> and uh, this picture was taken with 1.2 miles left. Those three guys, the guy on the left was my training partner. His name's Zach. And he had run many marathons, and he trained me. Every Saturday morning, we would do a training. And he was, the amount of, the amount of discipleship that would take place on a run was incredible. Like, the conversations, just, there's something about going through external adversity that just, you don't wear a mask. You just say exactly what's going on in your life, and the Lord works through that relationship. And so he was there. He had, he had already finished running the marathon like two hours before me and came back out to run the last mile. The guy on the right, Clint, was my first mentor. He, he was the first pastor that invited me to be on staff at a church as a youth pastor. Saw something in me. He had run the half marathon and came back out. And then the guy in the back, his name's Connor. He was a guy I was discipling. He was, 
he was on the at the end of the uh, marathon. He was actually behind the barricade, and when he saw me, he jumped over the barricade to come run with me. The police were not a big fan of that. He said, "That's my friend. That's my 2 a.m. friend. I'm going to go with him." He didn't actually say 2 a.m. friend, but that's what it felt like. And we crossed the finish line together. I don't know if I would have finished without him. There is something about the external adversity that bonds friends. And that picture still, almost a decade later, means so much to me. So a question for you this morning. What are you fighting for? What battle are you in right now? What's the Lord calling you to? Usually in that thing is where you're going to find a friend. I found that my closest friends when I was in youth ministry were the other youth workers. There's something about the battle that you're in. If you're going to be going to camp as a student ministry leader, you're going to be for the, the battle is going to forge a bonding with the other leaders. If you serve in kids ministry, there's a, that battle forges a bond in relationship, external adversity, hot wires, deep friendships. So if you're looking for a, a, like a 2am friend, like Derek, I want that highly encourage you find something you're contending for. You will find your friends. I believe probably all over Southview, you've experienced this. If you've been in the battle that the Lord has called you to as a church, I think about your future. I think about what you guys are entering into. Bless this town, right? The future building and what the Lord wants to do through that. This isn't just having 2 a.m. friends for this room right here. I believe there is a whole community desperate for 2 a.m. friends. They are desperate for somebody to just say, I am here for you. I will serve you. I will show up at your doorstep at 2 a.m. I will send you an encouraging text with words that I think are from the Lord because you need to hear what's true and what could be, not just what is and what was. Yeah. I believe that for you guys, church. This isn't, this isn't a sermon. Just, I actually think most of you do get this conversation around friends. I think this might be for who the Lord is calling you to be a 2 a.m. friend for. That's how the Lord wants to use you to bless this town. The last one, I'm going to go quick with this one, is relational adversity. Everybody say relational adversity. So you have the external adversity, but there's something maybe inside you that you need a friend to help you see it. You know, we all have blind spots, and we call them blind spots for a reason, because we can't see them. You need a friend that's actually going to say, hey, that's a blind spot, bro. Hey, sister, that's a blind spot. I had a mentor once say to me, find a friend that loves Jesus more than they love you. And it sounds simple, but it's so deep. I don't want friends that just love me more than they love Jesus because they won't ever tell me what I need to hear. Proverbs 27 says this, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy, they multiply kisses. I'm trying to teach my 13-year-old daughter this right now teens in the room, like you need to know this if you're in here. I, I always tell, when I was a youth pastor, I would say, look for, look for front-stabbing friends, not backstabbing friends. They got the scalpel. They'll help you see it. They'll, they'll even help, like the Lord's using them to help carve it out. Sometimes our niceness robs us of potential intimacy. Your friendship isn't broken if there's adversity. Somebody needs to hear that in here. Your friendship isn't broken if there's tension and adversity. That actually might be a sign the Lord's using that friend. Be willing to have the hard conversation. Not all friendships will make it through, but the best ones will. And my challenge to us, church, is if you want to be, if you want a 2 a.m. friend, you got to be a 2 a.m. friend. So often we can blame others or our community or our church or whatever. I don't have any friends. The Lord might just be saying to you today, 
be a 2 a.m. friend to somebody and you will receive a 2 a.m. friend. Personal responsibility. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.